0: Welcome to episode 42 of the Gratitude and Grit podcast uh, with Nick. And today we have John Lane joining us. Um, So you've maybe seen John uh, around the gym on Thursdays and then also Mondays. Monday mornings now, yes. Monday mornings. And so John is our resident physical therapist that is uh, coming to the gym to kind of check out what we're doing and then offer... Um, solutions to our aches and pains. So, John, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. How's everything uh, going today? It's calm. Calm. You ready to uh, get started with uh, your session tonight? Certainly. Um, So, wanted to have you on the podcast uh, because I find it very fascinating on what's kind of going on with you. Um, Curious a little bit about, um, you know, how this relationship started uh, with KCI CrossFit and what brought you here. Um, but we'll kind of get into that. So maybe you just kind of start off the group audience and tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into uh, this line of work, and what you've been, uh, where you've been working at for the last, you know, nine or ten years. Okay.
1: So I was exposed to physical therapy at the end of high school. I was actually interested in athletic training, uh, as you want to say, an, an unathletic athlete um, who knew that there was no way of pursuing anything with being a participant. But I um, found out in my last uh, year of high school that uh, physical therapists uh, have their own uh, specialization with around sports or otherwise, and had an injury in wrestling in which the athletic trainer gave me one point of feedback, and the physical therapist uh, seemed a little bit more in-depth. Part of that was because he was a little bit older, a little bit more practiced, but, but still, I, I realized that there was somewhere I could go. Uh, it took me a year or so in college to f- make that decision, but um, but from there, yeah, that's how I got into physical therapy as a whole. Entered into the army because um, I had to pay for school, and so that was the and easiest so way. In in college, then did you actually get a degree
0: in physical therapy?
1: So physical therapy is, was a master's degree at the time I went. It used to be a bachelor's many many years ago, um, but transitioned to doctorate like twenty or. Master's 25 years ago, doctorate 15. So uh, you can generally take whatever you want for undergrad as long as you have certain prerequisites, and then you enter the field or enter the program. Um, it's a competitive for getting into the program. Most everyone who gets in gets through, whereas like doctors, whether it's uh, osteopathy or otherwise, a lot of people get in, a certain percentage don't make it through.
0: Gotcha. Well, you made it. I did. Well, congratulations! Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you mentioned that you uh, you're in the army, and so are you. Were in the army, correct? Um, and so that's where it started. And so you were doing uh, physical therapy within uh, the army at Fort Leavenworth.
1: That was my last assignment.
0: Your last yes. assignment, and so you were there for weren't you there for like nine years or something?
1: No. Um, so the training I've had that l- lets me do what I do, I took nine years ago. Uh, I was actually stationed in Virginia. But my last assignment uh, was the last three years.
0: Gotcha. So you've been in Kansas City then for the last three years? Give or take now, yes. Give or take. Awesome. Um, So do you maybe want to elaborate um, maybe what you saw from the Army side? What was some of the common um, aches and pains or the common ailments that you saw from the uh, Army side of things? So the,
1: the most common complaint is lower back pain. That's consistent with everywhere else in the population um, so if I had to rank them by frequency it's lower back pain and then knee pain uh, without an event um, and then neck or shoulder pain um, it was pretty often to be one co- combined with the other we'd have ankle sprains we'd have hip pain would have mid-back pain but if you had to say the top three uh, those are the top three
0: Okay. Um, Do you want to maybe elaborate a little bit why lower
1: back pain? So, it is a combination of what gear uh, soldiers have to move around. Uh, A lot of Uh, specialties, like mechanics, they get to move fairly heavy things. Mm. And some are more prepared for it than others. Uh, Some of it can be from people who are just sitting at a desk all day. And they don't move around that much, and then they go to do physical training, and they're going from nothing to aggressive in 10 minutes flat. And so sometimes it's that imbalance. Um, My actual take now, knowing what I know about um, the neuromuscular system, is that a lot of the back concerns can actually start off from knee injuries or ankle injuries. And people will knee-jerk response, say, oh, it's from compensation. Not necessarily. It's not that they have to walk differently or they have to do things differently, but uh, the lower back is the circuit board for the whole leg. So if a lot of injuries are lower extremity injuries, ankle, knee, hip, the lower back is kind of like the parent that watches all these children get hurt, and they get more and more anxious and more and more involved. So Mm. um, if the shoulder or the elbow or the hand or wrist gets hurt, then the neck ends up taking on this different behavior. And so uh, a lot of that conclusions to me, because I've met many teenagers who have had no reason to have a neck problem, but they're very active with their shoulders, um, whether it's softball players, volleyball players, swimmers, and, but they'll have neck problems often on one side more than the other. And it isn't simply because they move to a side, it's the events were from the extremity.
0: So I like, I like the way that you said that. Um, so basically the lower back would be the parent to the lower body and then the, the neck and the shoulders would be the parent to basically your upper body and your extremities. Correct.
2: Yeah. That's that first thing that you said, like the oftentimes what you're seeing or what you're thinking now is that low back pain can frequently be caused by things down the chain, knees, ankles right the way that you're walking like any anything correct so my own history um which i didn't even
1: really fully recognize until about a year ago um uh to to give now what i know as being my own history um i had that ankle injury that i referred to at the start of the podcast and um it took about four months to actually get resolution but even while I was still dealing with that, I could still perform close to what I think was my peak level. I mean, I ran a ten forty seven two mile while I was still recovering from Whoa. that event. So, um, so in my case, it probably, well, at that point, I would say it probably had resolved. But before that, I was about 20 or 30 seconds slower uh, as it was calming down. Um, it did calm down to where if you asked me which ankle it was, I probably wouldn't remember. Hmm. But then two plus years later, um, simply participating in, um, recreational activity. I'll just leave it at that. I bent over to pick something and I heard a small pop in my lower back. I, I didn't lift anything. I literally just bent over to grab something, felt a pop. And for the rest of the day, I had relative weakness down the leg. Um, Because of my relative background, I was already a little bit nervous about that, Mm -hmm. Um, but it did calm down. And then two years later, when I was showing a limping pattern uh, to undergraduates, uh, a specific limping pattern to uh, show strain on the glute medius muscle in this case, I actually strained that muscle on my right side. So the ankle, in, in my interpretation of my own events now, is that I had the ankle injury, which set up the right side of the lower back to have some degree of tension and if you wanna say vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And so when I did this very simple activity, which I still don't know why that rep mattered compared to others, but something happened where the muscle got stressed and went into more of a guarding pattern. And again, thinking about this after the fact, um, I could not get below 12 minutes for running the next fall. Mm. Um, I actually lost more than half a minute in Speed, and I think it was because I had my lower back reducing the capacity for my hip. For the hip, it didn't hurt, it just didn't have as much power. It just hindered the right. And I just thought I wasn't in shape because I thought, well, I took a couple weeks off because of uh, attending a camp and I just couldn't get myself back in shape. But when I strained my hip um, again, it was the same side, and my lower back didn't hurt. It had nothing, I had no association with that until I know what I know now. But I strained my hip and for a week I couldn't walk. For six weeks I couldn't run. I got to where I could run. But when I directly challenged that muscle, anytime that challenged that muscle, it hurt for two or three days. Didn't matter how long I waited on it. But I really think that the lower back, um, it, it was the common denominator on those three injuries. Yeah. Even though only one of the events would I have ever pointed at my lower back.
2: Sure. That's, that's interesting. I mean, I, I hope that the people listening to this can pick up on that. Cause I've known like even my wife and I've known other people that have say, th- th- you know, the quote, throw their back out. Right. right. So that something goes h- haywire in your low back and in your hips b- just by doing, putting your pants on or taking your pants off. Like it's just this random movement. It's not deadlifting 300 pounds. It throws your back out or doing something weird. But now looking at it with that lens or that understanding could say, well, I wonder why that happened, you know, other than just putting a big question mark in the air and saying, well, wow, why did that? And then having to go to see the chiropractor, obviously, because things are out of adjustment. But,
0: huh. Like yeah, then my my question where I was thinking too was, is so would that always be a common misdiagnosis? Then you go to the doctor and you say, well, my lower back hurts, but it could have been your ankle, knee, hip, something like that. But of course, they're going to try and treat your back, you know, maybe give you a cortisone shot or something, you know, something like that. Right. So, at that point,
1: it is accurate to say that the lower back is involved. Sure. Um, If somebody was going to really say, well, what do I need to do differently to avoid it? Um, Then some of that is, um, after you have any sort of extremity event, to really assess, is there any other presentation that suggests that the lower back is now going to uh, interfere with other things. Mm -hmm. So that's where it doesn't matter if somebody's coming with knee pain or ankle pain, I'm going to assess their hip comparing side to side to see, is there a strength difference? Because that is an easier comparison than assessing like hamstring strength, um, or calf strength. Mm -hmm. And and I'm simply referring to the lowest two levels of the lower back, but that's where most problems occur. Right. So, um, so it is accurate to say that the lower back's involved and um, I would love it if somebody actually set up a study to f- to find out if, does it start off as muscular and then that muscle balance yeah. or imbalance leads to the disc wall issues and, and mm-hmm. so forth. Um, it is an established fact that um, for surgical fusions, the most common level is L5-S1. The second most common level is the level between the fifth and the sixth level of the neck. So... L-5-S1 innervates the hip, hamstring, calf, foot. lc 5 6 innervates the shoulder, sure. some of the forearm. So it's kind of like saying, do you expect more wrecks on I-29 or do you expect more wrecks on your neighborhood, uh, whatever street's going down your yeah, neighborhood? You drive what? It, it's even it, by volume, it's going to be I-29 because there's so much traffic. Yeah. So uh, just out of the nature of the volume alone. So I'm curious, Uh, I don't know if anyone will ever try the study because that means you have to take people who had these muscular concerns, you have to leave them alone, but I do wonder if that's what gets it started. Mm -hmm. But by by that point, by the time they're coming in and saying, I have back pain and they do imaging, then yes, there are other changes, but if you really had to say, how could we prevent this long term? That, from my experience, that's where it kind of leads me to think, which of course, everyone's going to have their bias based on what they've seen. But um, several different experiences I've had, they stay consistent um, with that premise.
0: So as I'm sitting here and I'm watching Doug work out and he's deadlifting 300 pounds, and if you were going to be sore the next day, would you be sore because your back is sore or would you be sore because your legs are sore and it's telling your lower back? What do you think about that?
1: I would lean
0: towards... Because you're going to feel the right. soreness in the lower back,
1: right? The lower back is challenged; it has its own piece. Um, I am curious as to how much uh, the lower extremity involvement can ramp that up. So um, I would actually argue that a squat. I mean, if you have you if you have good form with both exercises, you should be fine. Mm-hmm. But I could I could see where people will say I feel more with squats than I do with deadlifts because you've got the entire lower back involved, if you will, because you have uh, quadriceps and possibly adductors, uh, mostly quadriceps involved and you, you have to control um, through a, a large range. Um, so whether or not you have that little pivot um, or what I've been told is called a gluteal wink um, with a squat, um, <laughs> Whether you have that pivot or not, you have a transition zone, and you have both the hamstrings, glutes, and quads involved so the qu- the squat actually will incorporate all of it, yeah, um so I could see more people having soreness uh certainly for a deadlift uh if you do it right, then your lower back is just kind of there for the ride, right a lot of posterior chain work, but it's it's just there for the ride, yeah, so um so I actually. I can see your point about the, Hey, these people are doing 300 pound deadlifts and they're fine. And then they go put on their pants and what happens? Um, so I, I, I would think that one with a deadlift, you're giving it a certain amount of focus, uh, so good form, but also, um, you're going to have several muscle groups that are active and engaged rather than just having something, uh,
2: pick up randomly.
0: Very fascinating stuff.
2: I mean, I love, yeah, I love it. It's, it's hard to grasp and understand, but it's like it's it's really important to, for people to at least kind of understand, like try to understand how your body is working and works and and the function and potential dysfunction. I, I think is it's super important. I mean, if, if we're in CrossFit and we do CrossFit for longevity, you know, and we've talked about this. At length, but we—you've got to be a constant learner, and you've got to be—you—you've got to be invested with learning, you know. With nutrition, we've talked about this recently. Like, you—you you just have to understand what you're putting into your body and what it's doing as as fuel or lack thereof. Like, you know, what John's talking about is that very similar with your own body. Like, you—you you don't have to co- study complete anatomy to to know, like, hey, my foot, my knee, and and what that causes through your movement, through your posture and what that, you know, long term could, could potentially imply. So it's, it's important.
0: Yeah. I like it. Um, So let's transition. Uh, You said the next one was kind of knee pain. So maybe elaborate a little bit on that. That seems a little bit more um, isolated to be like an injury or something, you know, playing football or whatever. You always see those knee, knee injuries or something like that. So why don't you explain that a little bit more?
1: Um, So some, some of the uh, concerns are from uh, twisting injuries or other um, rapid movement uh, events. But a, l- a lot of them are from uh, people running more than what they choose to, if you will, and often running at somebody else's pace. So um, if anyone has ever watched a group run and you can tell the person that's really being held back and they're doing kind of a shuffle step, that that's a good part of it. So uh, people just not doing truly their own normal movement pattern. So, And some of it's just the accumulation of work. So, But more often it's, again, the change from I'm not doing anything to here I'm doing this a lot. Uh, I know plenty of people who have say I have knee pain because I ran three miles a day. I'm like, uh, when I was in cross country, I ran seven or eight miles a day very often. I didn't have knee pain. So it's not just total volume, but... It does matter, at least for opportunities.
0: So what would you, how would you diagnose that person or if you were to, um, you know, treat that person, what would you think would be the cause of a knee pain if they think it's because they're running three miles a day?
1: So a lot of the times the knee is what I can cons- I refer to as middle management. If either the uh, the foot slash ankle is having an issue or the, if you want to say the employees or the supervisor uh, slash hip, and in this case, saying lower back, uh, but really the, the hip muscles for their performance. If if they're not doing their job well, the knee is what's going to take on the stress because the knee has no leverage. Um, it's it's out in space. The the hip has this leverage through your center, your core, um, center of gravity, if you will, and the foot obviously has its own leverage uh, through the ground. So the knee really is at the whim of both the hip and the ankle so if somebody says hey i have a knee problem you're going to be looking at everything from the foot up yeah so um so for diagnosis wise yes you can look at structural saying oh you did or did not tear a ligament or you did or did not tear cartilage um, and that's really more of a hey do you need to see orthopedics or do you not but if they don't have any of those findings then is it a how they move mm-hmm. how often they move um is it what i i now kind of look for first of did they have an old insult that they could move totally normal and they could be doing everything appropriately but the body is just saying you hurt me once I'm going to warn you early because you're not going to hurt me again and so it takes normal load and gives you the impression of extraordinary work so sometimes the body is just lying to you
2: (laughs) because it is trying to protect itself correct
0: yeah so so I like the employees, middle management, supervisor analogy. That's a good one. Yeah, good. Um, so would you say there's a common issue with the, the ankle employees? And that's where that starts a lot of things. So do people have poor ankle mobility? And is that something that we should work on? Sometimes ankle mobility is limited. Um, if you get uh,
1: if you want to say a, an array of medical providers, most will start talking about the arch and pronation or supination with most focus on pronation. Um, which so is? Pronation is the combination of um, dorsiflexion, which is like if you want to say pulling the toes up towards um, your shin or knee. Uh, adduction, which is um, taking the f- the foot inward, if you will. Um, and then just a rotation. So uh, it's, it's a combination of three planes of movement. Sure. So um, when people say they have a flat foot, it's an overpronated foot. So if uh, the, the simplest way of saying how does pronation refer to knee pain, uh, like with uh, weight training, If somebody has a squat pattern where their knee is going farther forward than, if you want to say, their toe line, if they cannot see their toes, if they were looking down, then they've put their foot into enough dorsiflexion that it forces the ankle to go into, or the foot to go into pronation because the ankle is not, um, it's not a square. The actual bony anatomy is more like a trapezoid, Mm. and so uh, you have a side-to-side movement component, so in order to get any more movement, you have to move through the foot. Yeah. And so um, so if somebody sits back with a squat, you won't see overpronation. Um, you won't see a lot of dorsiflexion either because they're coupled to movements.
0: Yeah. So it's funny. I just saw this on uh, Whiteboard. I follow them on Instagram. Whiteboard I mean, they, Daily. Whiteboard Daily. Yeah. And they just posted one, I think it was actually yesterday, about seeing your toes and not seeing your toes. And they just equated it to more stress or less stress on your hamstrings versus your lower back. So would you like to see, would you like us to see our toes or not see our toes? Yeah, you should be able to see your toes. Okay. So
1: the other part that, um, and I realize I'm, I'm shifting back to the knee, is that when, when you shift your weight forward, the more you shift your weight forward, the more the calf gets involved. And how the calf attaches at the knee actually creates a uh, a shear type force. You're not going to tear your ACL or do anything bad like that. But it creates a different stress at the uh, front of the knee. So you actually have less stress the back or the front of the knee when you sit back and you're using your quads predominantly than if you actually use your calf a lot.
2: So so yes, you you definitely want to be able to see your toes. He's literally describing me and the struggles that I'm going through without, like, actually, we didn't talk about this, but, like, I have essentially jumper's knee is what I'm feeling. Like, I've got just that pain in the front of the knee, and my flat foot is super apparent. I've been working on it for a year and a half now, trying to actually recreate the arch, but everything that you just said describes, like, when and how I have pain through the knee, and it's usually... Things shift forward. I've got tight calves. I try to push the knee. You know, it's just everything.
1: Right. So whether or not it's a posterior chain weakness then, and you're shifting forward because you can't control the posterior chain, that's the question. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I'll have, to, I'll have to take a look to give you any better feedback than that.
2: <laughs> no, uh,
1: but, no, the, the, the common pattern is that um, – once you see that, then, then you see the knee cave in, uh, a term that uh, right. I would use as dynamic valgus. Mm-hmm. But, but you can just say, hey, the knee caves, because uh, it's essentially talking about the same uh, picture. And that, yes, will be its own stressor on the knee because you're taking on uh, rotational force. But it's happening because of these other factors.
0: Right. And So why does the knee
1: cave? Because the foot's going into pronation, and so the knee has to follow that motion. And so a lot of coaches will, I would say, appropriately say, no, keep the hip, tighten the hip to kind of push your knees out.
0: Uh, they just tell me to push my knees out. So. Right,
1: <laughs> right. And, and so you focus on that. But in order to make that happen, you have to sit back. Um, so it, it's, you can have different verbal cues that will still get the effect you want. Right. Um, some
0: are easier to register. So. so when I am back squatting or front squatting and I go down and I get too much on my toes or I get out in front of my toes, then I'm causing the pronation, right? Which in order to get out of that, I'm going to have to buckle my knees or get my knees in in order to kind of get out of that situation because I'm too far on my toes.
1: The better response is if you're able to sit back, but yeah. on, the, on the chicken and egg part, yeah, if, if you're leaning forward because you can't sit back, you're right, you're, you're kind of in that stuck position and... And so, yes, people will end up moving their legs in in order to try and get leverage uh, for that moment. It's it's a cheat. And so for the moment you get away with it,
0: eventually you you feel it more and more. Gotcha. All right. I mean, that's a lot of information my head's about to blow up. Hmm. Um, so let's move on. So the last one you talked about was kind of neck or shoulder. Yep. Um, so I'll kind of let you do your your business on the neck and shoulder area.
1: So the shoulder is where we get all of our mobility for doing anything with our arm. So uh, it's getting a lot of use. The the shoulder does not have a lot of ligament support. It has a little, but not a lot. So the muscles always have some degree of work anyway. And so if people are doing uh, lifting, whether it's gym-type exercise or uh, things at work, uh, it's going to get it's its own work. You really can't uh, use the rest of your body to lift something overhead. Yes, you can use uh, thrust through the hips and that to get propulsion, but you, you're not gonna jump up so you don't have to raise your arm up any higher. So there are some things you just have to use your shoulder for. And again, the neck being the parent for the shoulder, um, if the shoulder is stressed, then uh, the muscles that support the shoulder blade and the muscles that support the neck themselves. Are going to have their own uh, challenge or irritation. So, so that one's more of a function activity based piece, but it, it's again very common.
0: So then, should all of us that are desk workers all day long, and we're in the we're in the the go position, which is mm-hmm. the keyboards out in front of us, and we're locked in at it? Why are we not? Experiencing, or why am I not experiencing a lot of neck pain if I'm kind of like activating my shoulders in that position? Because you think I would get soreness or I'd get a lot of fatigue in the same spot on my, my shoulders. Well, if you are actively
1: having to shrug your shoulders to clear your desk, then I'm sure you would be. Okay. Um, but with your arms at your side, at even there, there is some room for error, but most people have their desks set up where they're, they're not having to actually shrug. So... The, the structures are simply there. Now, if you had had a, a rotator cuff injury from some other event, then you would feel it even with sitting. But, um, but that s- stationary posture will not be enough to stress the shoulder because the shoulder has some degree of work all the time. So you could be standing, arms at your side, and the shoulder would still be taking up the same work. So fortunately, we've got, uh, again, room for uh, latitude, room for
0: error. Uh, before we have symptoms, so then going kind of with the same relationship of knees and ankles and all this stuff. Too, a lot of people have elbow pain, and is the elbow pain then work its way up, or is the elbow pain different than than something else? So
1: most, I guess I should take one step back first. Um, a lot of individuals with elbow, wrist, hand pain uh, in the military system or in the army system end up going to a different provider that specializes in that. So. There may be a lot more people dealing with it than I know of, mm. but most of those concerns are from uh, repetitive movement activities for the wrist. Uh, so it, the true elbow is a very stable joint uh, by bony anatomy-wise. It doesn't get hurt a lot, so either you're fine or you're probably fracturing a bone mm. in the forearm. Uh, so it, it's, it's the least common joint I have to worry about. Hmm. Um, I have not seen anywhere near the same uh, rate of people coming in for neck concerns that I find out their their wrist and their forearm are having issues. So uh, it's that's all fine motor.
0: Okay. Um, Nick, I don't know if you have any other
2: questions. No. I mean, my my next kind of question is, you know, how do we turn the page here and then talk about resolving these issues and specifically with, you know, the treatments that you do and and dry needling and
0: yeah, that's where I was going to go down the treatment side of it. And so I didn't know if you have anything else before we kind of transition into that. No, that, that was my next train of thought is okay. So if we identify
2: something or even if we don't identify and, you know, we come to see you and say, Oh yeah, we've, we've identified there's something going on. What, what does that look like? You know, for, for the listener that doesn't know what it is, like what treatment do you do? You know, explain that, that piece of it.
1: So if I had to say a spectrum of options um, where the patient basically can be in control, independent, um, but they have to work at it for a while, uh, can be what people think of with physical therapy. I would give exercises uh, to tell the muscle how to contract, uh, give them a stretch to tell the muscle how to relax, and they would incorporate that to let the muscle know what its normal job is because if the muscle has been stressed or irritated and it's in a semi-contracted status, uh, then we need to tell it how to go uh, high and low, if you will, so rather than just being halfway. So if it's a very mild concern or presentation, then normal exercise or selective exercise will reinforce what the muscles are supposed to do, and you shift, if you wanna say, the threshold far enough that their normal activity, or even sometimes aggressive activity, doesn't create a problem. If that is not sufficient, then the other option they have for self-control, or uh, if you want to say kicking the can down the road to at least control the symptoms for that day, I use ischemic compression a lot. Um, Some people do this on their own anyway. They, They find a spot that's kind of tight, and they'll just kind of rub at it or push at it or lean on a corner of a desk, whatever that might be. And after a minute and a half to two minutes of doing that, the muscle will relax or fatigue, you you pick your term. And for a few hours, the muscle behaves better. And so that's a strategy that they can use uh, if they're uncomfortable with doing anything more aggressive. So. Uh, If that, again, is insufficient, they're like, I don't want to kick the can, I don't want to just touch the symptoms, I want to address things, Uh, that's when I'll often recommend the treatment of dry needling. Um, Most people confuse that for acupuncture because it's the same type of needle, but the more comparative, uh, similar approach is uh, trigger point injections. Uh, But really, whether you have a substrate or a medication to inject or not, the interaction is the same. The, uh, a metal uh, needle or filament is going to interact with the nerve to muscle interface and it'll stimulate the muscle to briefly fully contract and then it actually relaxes. So those are the spectrum of options that somebody can use to uh, focus on if you want to say one specific area at a time. and. It, it, you can selectively just focus on one, or you, you can interact with uh, several
0: in a short window. There are options. And with dry needling, your hope is is that it takes one or two visits. It's not You're not signing up for like a, a bi-weekly program or something like that, that you're really hoping to have a great deal of success in one or two visits.
1: Correct. For a given area of complaint, or if they recognize multiple areas of complaint, uh, the first visit will be productive for identifying what I consider the obvious zones. Some of them, the patient can point to themselves. Sometimes they just, they know what it feels like when I would stimulate it. Uh, And that can just be from contact, not necessarily the needling. Um, But that first session, if, if I hit the targets, then they will see those changes overall. And then within a few days, any other milder, uh, contributors will be more apparent. So, just again, going, getting back to like the kids analogy. If if you have one child who likes to make a lot of noise, and another one's not quite as loud, but they're there. You pay attention to the one that's making a lot of noise, and then once they're gone, you're like, oh wow, this other one's misbehaving too. I just didn't even know. So that's where I tell people expect two visits. Um, from there, it it gets into uh, much more subtle presentations. So.
0: Yeah. For having witnessed it here, what was that last week? Two weeks ago, I think my, I came and saw you with my wife and she has really bad headaches. Um, and so it was funny just to see you, you know, do the needling portion and you can just basically see the muscle contract and then relax. And then she was able to feel that, I mean, instantaneously. And she's, you know, felt it when you basically kind of quote unquote popped a balloon of the muscle. Um, and since then, it's been a lot better, and so I definitely would have to say that it's it's working, and it's been something that she's been working on to try and solve for, for a long, long time. And so, as witnessing it, that was it's pretty cool. So
2: that was two two weeks ago now, and yeah. she's still f- yeah I'm feeling
0: yeah. So when he was talking about the analogy of the kids, and you know, and and John explains this when you go and see him, but you know. Sh- when he treated my wife, it was multiple points, you know, in the head and then the Mm -hmm. neck and then the shoulders, but he might not have got everyone that was screaming at that time or he calmed all them down and maybe the new person that's going to start screaming then kind of reveals itself a little bit. But yeah, I mean, since then it's, you know, not been when she came and saw you, she was having really bad headaches. And, and so hopefully knock on plastic, picnic table, but uh, um, hopefully everything, you know, continues to pan out there. So, yeah, it's definitely interesting. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, So if anybody wants to get a hold of you um, or come see you, what is the best way to do that?
1: So I've, uh, one point, I've I've left my cards, uh, but if somebody's listening to this and they want to write down uh, my uh, number and send me a text, uh, 253-365-3161. Uh, I do have a website that they can also go to to uh, route to the booking. Um, so the, I I I know that I've got a link directly to KCI CrossFit. If they go to the website, book the second look, and that's 2ND uh, look, uh, they'll route it to my square page or square booking site with the initial setting at my office in Leavenworth but they can just select another location so either of those pathways will definitely work if they send me a text and I'm engaged then it'll be a a few minute delay but uh, but yes there are a couple of different ways to get on a schedule.
2: Yeah and there's uh, the newsletters that I've been sending out now have the link to that so if you don't remember that actual website and then there's a, there is a, a flyer here, some information at the gym with a QR code that you can scan it and that'll if you just QR code, take a picture of that, it'll pull up the website and um, that goes right to the booking. But John's here. Uh, for the most part, um, you know barring any scheduling conflicts. he's here Thursday afternoons. What time, four o'clock or four thirty.
1: Yeah, four fifteen is probably when I arrive. Star-
2: yeah, starting at four fifteen on pretty much every Thursday, um, uh, for a couple hours, and then again, he's starting uh, to take appointments Monday mornings. We just started that this week, so the the, the first screening is free. Uh, definitely want to make sure people know that, and there's you can get a ton, a ton of value out of that that initial screening. Um, but it, Monday mornings or Thursday afternoons here. And you know, and then he's obviously available. He's got an office in Leavenworth, um, so it's not just exclusively here. Um, we just want to be able to bring him here to say, "Hey, there's another opportunity to to be to have him here closer than than driving to Leavenworth."
1: Yeah, yeah. The the biggest difference between uh, for being here versus Leavenworth, and why I offer this screening, and and Nick's uh, justifiably recommended this screening, is that unless you have a referral to physical therapy. Uh, I can legally screen and give general information, but true treatment, I have to have a referral. It can just be a a referral for physical therapy uh, while I'm in Missouri. So in Kansas, they allow for treatment um, without a referral for as long as I'm seeing progress within two weeks, I can continue to see somebody. Uh, But that's really the, the big difference. So if you want to kind of assess for yourself before you even have a screening. The, the easiest ways of recognizing for yourself this is what you're likely looking at is, does it hurt to stretch? Uh, some people will say it feels like a good hurt. It's still a hurt. Uh, it doesn't feel like a normal stretch. It feels like a, a light pulling. Uh, does it hurt to simply contract the muscle? If as you exercise it hurts more, then that's a pretty clear indicator. And is it tender to touch? So if you have all three of those things, the question is, how soon do you want to address it yeah. um, if you only have if you only have tenderness but it doesn 't hurt to stretch it doesn't hurt to uh, contract then it may just be a, a tender point and um, I, I don't have as high expectations in that case but but most everyone that uh come in with will will identify weakness um, the the st- the stretch part is the most subtle, but if it 's present it it's y-
2: you'll recognize it. Yeah. That's, that's good info. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, that is awesome. And I would just say that, uh, the way that you kind of broke down the body there was, uh, was not what I was expecting to hear. Um, and, uh, it was very informative. We didn't even get into CrossFit really the movements or, you know, any of those things, but a lot of the stuff that you said and the way you broke things down, it mirrors, you know, a lot of the coaching cues, a lot of things that, you know, we, we, Coaches will always tell me why I'm doing things or to do these things differently. So, as you put it together very succinctly. Um, and so, definitely would like to have you back uh, to kind of break it down a little bit more and maybe talk about some of the specific movements. But yeah, that was a extremely fascinating. And um, if you got more information that you'd like to hear about, please let us know at a podcast at kci crossfit.com. If you got uh, other things that you'd like to have uh, John break down for us, then please email us and let us know what you'd like to hear so thank you very much thanks john